0: Our second reading of Scripture this morning comes to us from the book of Genesis in chapter 1, Selections. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Then God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. Then he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness night. And the evening passed and the morning came, marking the first day. And then skipping down to the sixth day. Then God said, Let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the ground, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And then concluding, Then God looked over all he had made, and he saw that it was indeed very good. And evening passed, and morning came, marking the sixth day. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We have technology again today. I'm so happy. All right. So, um, keep me on track. Today I want to tell you about somebody named Marcion. Just out of curiosity, has anyone heard of the name Marcion? Okay. My wife. Okay. All right. So, and... Marjorie heard about it, picked that up somewhere. Probably Leah would have too. So there was a fellow named Marcion um, about 150 AD, and Marcion was a very interesting character. Marcion um, was instrumental in developing the canon of the New Testament. In 150 AD, there was no New Testament. There was the Hebrew scriptures, which were pretty well understood. People had kind of codified what belonged in the In the Hebrew scriptures, but nobody had collected the writings of the apostles into a single book and called it the New Testament. And Marcion was instrumental in bringing that about. Not only that, Marcion was very generous. Marcion gave the church in Rome 200,000 sesterces, I think I'm pronouncing that right, sesterces, it's a quarter of a denarii, so uh, in today's money, I mean, a denarius is the standard wage people got for a day's work, so uh, the federal po- poverty level for one person, a one-person household, is about $60 a day, that would be poverty in our nation today, so you think about uh, 50,000 of those, uh, whatever that number is, and that would be kind of the the amount of money that he gave to the church, so millions of dollars to, to the church in Rome. Um, not only that, but his influence was important in bringing about um, public hospitals, anti-poverty programs, um, an end to slavery, and creation care as a discipline of the church. And so my question is, why haven't we heard about Marcion? I mean, what a resume, right? That's that's. Wouldn't you like to have that on your resume? Well, there's a catch, and I'll get to that in a minute. Um, uh we are in a series of messages. We're talking about, um, article one. We're talking about doctrine. And, uh, in the church, doctrine is kind of sometimes a dry subject, but I hope, I hope that we'll be able to see throughout the course of this series that doctrine actually uh, makes a difference in our lives. So what we're looking at for doctrine is, is things Christians agree on. Now, you know, one of the things is we could say, what do Christians believe about God? And the answer most Christians would say is read your Bible and find out. The problem is lots of Christians read their Bible and lots of Christians have disagreements about what the Bible means and says. So that's one approach, is to read your Bible and then have those arguments. But another approach is to say, well, what is it Christians do agree on? Is there anything in the whole universe that Christians agree on? And it turns out there's actually a lot that Christians agree on. And when you take that approach... What you're doing is saying, uh, Christians get together, they, they meet in some kind of a council, and they adopt a confessional statement. They said, these are the things we believe about whatever circumstances. And last week, um, we talked about uh, two of them. If you weren't here last week, you can listen online. But we talked last week about something called the Nicene Creed, which was created in 325 by the, um, by the church uh, right after the time that the Emperor Constantine made it legal to be a Christian. So that happened in 325. But there's another creed we talked about last week called the Apostles' Creed. And um, um, see, I'm already messing things up. There we go. All right. So um, that's Marcion, um, and he did all those cool things. Um, And so we're talking about doctrine and confessions. There we go. All right. So um, so, um, where are we at? So... um, the creeds. Okay, so so um, the Nicene the Creed was was established in three twenty five, and then um, I told you last week that there's another creed called the Apostles' Creed. It is actually both younger and older. It was it reached its current form in the eighth century, so it's significantly younger than the Apostles' Creed. But there is a part of it that dates to the second century. It dates to about one hundred and eighty. So that is the creed we've been looking at, and we've been specifically focusing on the first article of the Apostles' Creed, because it turns out Christians agree on a lot. And we would be here for a long time if we tried to to go through and unpack all the different things Christians do agree on. So we're looking just at this short article one from the Apostles' Creed. So it goes like this, I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. Some people grew up in churches where they said that regularly, and I think it's actually probably a good idea, and maybe someday we'll pick up that practice. But but that's the first article of the Apostles' Creed. Last week we talked about Father Almighty, and today we're going to talk about creator of heaven and earth. And the reason that we're going to do that is because it's right there in the Bible. In fact, if you've ever tried to read the Bible, you can't hardly miss the idea that God is the creator of heaven and earth. I mean, it starts on page one. If if the time you tried to read the Bible was by just flopping it open, maybe you missed it. Although, as we saw, it's in many of the Psalms, uh, the, the idea is in many of the Psalms and many of the other writings in the Bible. But if you just start at the beginning, you can't help but trip over the fact that Scripture teaches us that God created heaven and Earth, so that's what we read um, in our passage earlier. Um, back in uh, what fifty years ago, um, Apollo Eight went to the Moon. It orbited the Moon a couple of times, and while they were there, they read this passage, Genesis one, um, on Christmas Eve. So they took that famous picture, um, and looking out at the Earth from there, they said, "Yes, indeed, um, it is very good." So let's take a look at what it was they read, or at least the little portion we heard today. So. It says, in the beginning, God created the heaven, the heavens and the earth. And the earth was formless and empty and darkness covered the deep waters. Now, depending on your, your translation, you may not have those exact words. But one of the, one of the recent uh, discussions people have had is whether that's an accurate uh, translation. My Bible, for example, has a little footnote at the bottom that says, um, that there's another way to read the Hebrew here. It could be, in the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, then at that time, the uh, earth was formless and empty, and darkness had covered the deep waters. Not a big deal, but um, but it, it makes a difference in in the history of doctrine because one of them says that that first part is kind of a chapter heading. In the beginning, God did these things, and the other one, it's kind of a timestamp. It says at this time, when God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was already um, formless, and so this has turned into a, a debate over the years. Um, what did the writer of Genesis mean? Did he mean God created everything or God rearranged everything? And the reason that that was important is because in a lot of ancient Near Eastern religions, the god never actually, they never did answer the question where stuff came from. They said that the gods battled, and so, for example, the Babylonians had a god named Marduk who defeated another god named Tiamat and then made the world out of her carcass, okay? So that was an example of how the, uh, the ancient Near East uh, cultures looked at the world. The, and so people said, well, what is it we believe? But over time, certainly a couple of centuries before the time of Christ, um, Jews had come about, uh, had come to a conclusion that what the writer of Genesis meant was not, um, this is not a time stamp, but actually that God did create the, um, can we go backwards one? Technology. All right, so so go back one, please. There. So this is probably the 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 understanding that that um, that Jesus would have had, uh, people in his era would have had, and um, uh, we see that reflected, for example, in the the Gospel of John. John says that everything was created without him; nothing came into being. So it says God did not act like one of those other ancient Near East gods who kind of rearranged things but didn't make it. Uh, the, the Jews and then later on the Christians believe that God made everything. So everything there is was created by God. Even time and space were created by God. And, um, so that's, that's what we read in uh, Genesis. And then God goes on. He says, let there be light. And there was light. And then God saw that the light was good. So we read these, these words and, uh, we kind of don't think much of that, but uh, notice what it says. It says God, saw that the light was good. And he says that for each of the things he creates all during those first six days of creation, God says that they are good. So hang on to that. Um, I'm going I'm to uh, zoom through a little bit more. We're going to look at two more things. God says, um, uh, let us make human beings in our image to be like us, and then um, they will reign over the fish of the sea, the birds of the uh, sky, the livestock and all the wild animals on the earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God gives this, Commissioned to to the humans that he's made, but um, one of the things that's interesting is is in that era for God to declare that humans um, are of equal dignity, both males and females are of equal dignity because they're both created in the image of God was actually kind of a remarkable thing, and it does set this text um, as being substantially different. This understanding of creation is substantially different from a lot of the other ancient Near East creation stories. So. Um that's, uh, that's one thing. And I know today a lot of people struggle with the idea that humans have dominion over creation. But if you stop and think it over, can you think of anything that is made in the image of its creator to have dominion over part of creation? I want you to stretch your mind and see if you can think of anything that looks like that. God is saying basically humans are kind of like scarecrows, that we have a role in... Um, Taking care of a section of of creation, that our role is to scare away any evil because we bear the image of God, and that anything that would harm or disfigure creation, it's our responsibility to frighten them away. So, so when you hear that language about dominion, it doesn't mean you know it's yours and you can do with it what you want. It means you have a role in its care. So that's kind of the language here that we see in Genesis that that humans are made as image bearers of God. They have equal dignity, male and female. But we are made to exercise dominion on God's behalf in protecting and preserving creation. And then it wraps up. God looked over all the things that He had made um, all six days, and He saw that it was not just good, but it was indeed very good. So that's the passage of uh, Scripture we looked at. It's why the creed that we heard earlier says God was the maker of heaven and earth, uh, the, the creator of heaven and earth. So where does Marcion come into this? Well, Marcion disagreed. Marcion believed that there were two gods. Marcion believed that there was a loving father in heaven, who was universal, loved all humans equally, but he believed there was also a creator god. He called this creator god the demiurge, Um, and he said, "He said creation is icky. No good god would ever get involved with anything as icky as creation." And he said, not only that, but the Creator God is a tribal God. He's the God of the Jews, and by the way, he's also very harsh. And you know what, it's not hard to hear that kind of analysis today. You tune into uh, you know, YouTube or a TV station when Sam Harris or Richard Dawkins or somebody like that is on, you'll hear the same kind of things, that there, there is um, a lot to admire about the teachings of Jesus perhaps, but when you read what the Old Testament says about God, it's really icky and really bad and mean and harsh. And so I opt out. And Marcion was kind of their, their, um, uh, the, the forefather of that line of thinking. So Marcion said, I like the God that Jesus prayed to, but I don't like the God of the Old Testament. And so in about 180, the church gathered in Rome, and they said, what are we going to do about this Marcion guy? And they said, we're going to tell him what we believe. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. And then they said, Marcion, why don't you take your 200,000 sesterces and pedal your backside all the way back to Asia Minor? And that's what he did. But his influence was not over. They should have kept the money. Um, I, I, I'm, a, I'm a pastor. What would you expect, right? Um, but... But his influence didn't stop, right? He got the money back, but he continued to influence people's thought. And in fact, he was one of the forerunners of a movement that became known later on as Gnosticism. Gnosticism comes from the word gnosis. It's like when you go to the doctor and you get a diagnosis or a prognosis. It means the doctor knows something that you need to understand in order to take care of your health. So uh, Gnosticism has this idea that there's this secret knowledge but for our purposes, we don't have time to go into all of Gnosticism, but Gnosticism is a dualistic view of the world. It means that there's there's two ways of looking at the world. There's there's the spiritual world, which is ethereal and wonderful and great and awesome, and then there's the material world. And we see echoes of this all over the place today. We see it in popular culture. We see it in movies like The Matrix, where the idea is that there are bodies which um, are simply, simply kind of uh, meat in a vat, and what really matters is what's going on inside your head—that your soul, your 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 spiritual understanding of the universe—is what really counts. Um, and I actually think Ma- the Matrix actually challenges that idea pretty well. But it's a common idea. But let me talk about two practical applications of this dualistic uh, viewpoint. It's one of them has to do with how we care for creation. Today is Earth Day, after all. So what does what does a dualistic view of the world say about creation? Usually what it says is it doesn't matter. Do what you need to. This is a temporary place. It's a it's a veil of tears. Someday our goal is to escape to the higher plane. And it really doesn't matter what you leave behind here because so what? This is just crude matter. But Christians, because of the crisis that Marcion created, said, no, we disagree. We believe God made the world good and God will remake it good in the future that there will come a day when God restores creation to his original intention for it. And so we cannot simply stand by and watch creation despoiled in the meantime. Now I know there are some Christians who promote a, a worldview called the rapture theology. And in that idea, there's really only two end games. You either go to heaven or you go to hell. And what happens to the earth doesn't matter because the earth is going to burn up. And again, I don't have time to go into that in any detail. You know, next week is, um, is, uh, extreme preachings. You can bring your questions if you've got them. But rapture theology has a number of, has a number of problems with it. Most of all, that it, um, it disagrees with what scripture uh, points out. Um, that, that, that God is a God who is remaking the world. Jesus talks about how he makes all things new. We read in Revelation and, we talked about Revelation last summer. You can go listen online again if you want to hear about that. But Revelation teaches us that, that the world will be renewed, that heaven and earth will meet. The, the sky will be torn back like a, like a scroll. The, the dome of the sky that separates heaven from earth will, will be rolled back like a scroll, scroll, and heaven will descend and kiss earth. The earth will not be destroyed. The earth will be renewed. When we read in Scripture where it talks about a fire, it's a fire of refinement. That everything that is ugly and base and common in the world will be burnt away, leaving only the pure alloy, the gold that God intended the world to be. Rapture theology is not good theology. Because God doesn't make mistakes and God doesn't throw the world away and start over. So, Christian theology teaches... Uh, throughout the years. Rapture theology, by the way, was only started about 150 years ago. It's not a doctrine that the church has had much to do with over the years. Um, So historically, Christians have always believed that God will remake the world. So creation care matters. 500 years ago, Martin Luther is supposed to have said, it's not clear if he actually said this, he said, if I knew the world was to end tomorrow, I would still plant an apple tree today. And maybe Martin Luther didn't say that. You can you can Google it and find out. But there's a Jewish saying that says this, if you have a sapling in your hand and they tell you the Messiah has arrived, first plant the sapling and then go out to greet him. That Jesus, when he returns in glory, will not come to destroy the earth, but will actually come to remove all sources of evil and violence. So creation care is one of the doctrines that comes out of an understanding um, uh, that is opposed to um, dualism. But there's another thing, which is body and soul. There is a, there is a, a, an idea that is very common in our world today. I mean, turn on Oprah. It is this idea that our bodies really don't matter, that what matters is our soul. And we see this all over the place, and I won't just make fun of Oprah. I'll make fun of my own particular mythology. Um, in the movie uh, Star uh, uh, Star Wars... The Empire Strikes Back, Episode 5, Luke Skywalker encounters a Jedi Master who is about to raise his X-Wing fighter out of the swamp. Um, Some of you have seen this movie, and if you haven't, I will pray for you. (laughs) But the Jedi Master says to Luke Skywalker, he says, Judge me by my body, do you? He says, And well, you should not. Luminous beings are we. (laughs) And then he pokes Luke in the arm and says... Not this crude matter. It's this idea that is so common in our culture today that there is our mind, our our soul, our psyche, and that's what matters. And our bodies don't matter. But Christians have always opposed this view. You saw an example of it earlier in our reading from James. James told his uh, followers, uh, uh, the followers of Jesus in the church he was a leader in. He said, suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing and you say, goodbye, have a good day, stay warm and eat well. He says, you think you've done something. You've wished their soul well. But what about their body? Bodies matter. How can someone have a good soul if their belly is hungry and their body is cold? James says, Bodies matter. And this is uh, an idea that is under assault today. Um, uh, you may have seen this bumper sticker. I actually kind of laughed at it, but, but uh, Christians believe that the body is a temple. That The reason that Christians sometimes get a bad reputation for being, being prudish is because we believe our bodies matter. Christians believe that what you do with your sexuality, how you express your sexuality, uh, what you do with your substances... Matter because your body matters the same way your soul matters it's not simply a, a vessel that carries you along and it doesn't matter what you do with it there's a reason that we start with father and then go to creator because sometimes this can be uncomfortable and I want to tell you about something that we didn't talk about last uh, month we had an election here in Anchorage you may remember hearing about Proposition 1 um, I heard about it a lot um and I need, to, I need to preface this by first of all saying that if you hear this message in anything other than the idea that God loves you, that there is nobody on two legs or one leg or a wheelchair, there is nobody with a heartbeat on this planet that God doesn't love, that God didn't send Jesus to save because God wants to be in relationship with people for all eternity because he is first, foremost, and always a loving father. So you have to hear this in that light. But there is something that troubled me as I heard the debates over Proposition 1. And it is this idea we hear in a lot of discussions about transgender rights. And it is the idea that there is me and there is my body. There is the real me and there is the biological me. And that is a dualistic Gnostic viewpoint. And Christians have always argued that what you do with your body Matters, And it has implications. The reason that Christians established hospitals was because bodies matter. The reason that Christians took in orphans was because bodies matter. It's not enough to say, well, their soul goes to heaven. Is somebody going to feed them in the meantime? The reason that Christians were involved in the anti-slavery movements is because bodies matter. Fifty years ago, the reason Christians led the civil rights movement is because it matters what seat on the bus your body sits in. And it matters which water fountain you drink in. Because bodies matter. C.S. Lewis said that humans are amphibians. That we are spiritual creatures, but we are also bodily creatures. We are material creatures. And if you imagine a frog, you can't keep him underwater forever. You can't only focus on the water part of a frog's life, but you can't only focus on the air part of his life either. That Humans, like frogs, are amphibians. We are designed to be both spiritual and material creatures. Bodies matter. So, what do we do with this? Well, I think we should start small. We should take care of ourselves. My guess is in a room this size, a lot of you aren't getting enough rest. You think you have such a high spirit that your body doesn't matter. That's a heresy. Churches return money from people who think that. (laughs) Some churches. Talk to Joyce. If you think... Your body doesn't matter. That is a heresy. That is an error that Christians discarded 2,000 years ago. Bodies matter. Get enough rest. Get enough exercise. Eat right. Be careful what substances you use and abuse. Be careful whether you treat your body like a temple or an amusement park. Take care of yourself. And then maybe you can move up to spirituality. C.S. Lewis says, well, if we are amphibians, what does that say about our bodies? How many of us pray with our bodies? You know, I tend to pray, you know, when I'm driving. I, pray, I Well, I actually go to a prayer meeting now, and I encourage you all to do it. But do you assume a posture of prayer? Or do you just kind of neglect your body? C.S. Lewis says, it does you good to pray on your knees with your hands folded. There's a reason that Christian adepts down through the centuries adopted those postures. It's because bodies matter. And then finally, take care of the world. You're a scarecrow. God made you to exercise dominion over a part of creation. Until God returns to redeem this world and remove all the sources of evil and ugliness in it, You have a role. Later on today, we're going to be, we're going to be, um, cleaning up Northwood Street because it's a part of our little world and we're going to be scarecrows there. But we also take care of people's bodies. We have a food ministry down at 88th Street, the mobile food pantry. And you know, we just heard, um, Dennis is going to be taking food to the, to the Spinard food bank. Bodies matter and creation matters. And the reason for that is God is a creator God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for creation. We thank you for a church that was willing to, to do something very hard and return a great big pile of money. But it was important, Lord, because creation matters and bodies matter. So, Lord, we pray you'd protect us from the errors of dualism. Help us to understand that we really are more like amphibians than anything else. Help us to take care of our spirits, but also to take care of our bodies not only ours, but those of the people around us. We pray all these things to Christ our Lord. Amen.